0: Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right? Ich warte seit Wochen auf diesen Tag und tanz vor Freude über den Asphalt Als wär's ein Rhythmus, als gäbe sein Lied Das mich immer weiter durch die Straßen zieht
1: die Hello and welcome to Gag Pressing, the German football podcast from the Football Grad Network. I'm your host, Bryce Dunn. And yes, we have another match day over us. So let's introduce the guys. I think you probably know them by now. Manu, how have you been?
2: Yeah, pretty good, Bryce. Um, Enjoyed another match day. Lots of goals. So pretty good weekend so far. How about you?
1: Yeah, it was great, wasn't it? It's, once again, we're very happy to have Bundesliga in our lives. You know, this is the fourth match day we're able to have uh, got through. I think we'll talk about just how it went and, and the returning of other leagues um, coming up. But um, let's um, let's introduce you to the final member of the team, eh? Chris Williams, you're here as always.
3: I am indeed, Bryce. Uh, good evening. Hello, everybody listening. Uh, yeah, we had a I'm going to call it a good Sunday uh, and a good Saturday night, sorry. Uh, Friday evening and Saturday afternoon were a little dull on the whole. Um, But yes, Saturday evening and Sunday certainly provided the goals. And of course, we've got one game to come on Monday that we will not cover, but we'll cover it in the next podcast.
1: Yes, we will. And that one might just have plenty of goals in it as well. Today, we've seen 12 goals, that's right, across two games. And obviously, the late kickoff. Game yesterday, he's seen five for Bayern Munich as well. So, yes, um, towards the end of the weekend, we've seen plenty. But let's talk about um, how the weekend went and the returning of other leagues. So, um, Chris, um, we, we've heard uh, in the last few days uh, of other leagues returning around Europe. Um how do you feel about this? Um, are, are you looking forward to that? I mean, we obviously specialise in the, in German football. Um, you specialise a little bit in the Premier League as well, obviously. But um, do you think they're going to take um, Bundesliga you know, approaches to things? Or, or how, how do you think they're going to go about it?
3: I've said this a couple of times on various different outlets. Uh, the Bundesliga protocol is exceptional. It's top-notch, but it's not a one-size-fits-all. You can't just take... What Germany have done and drop it down in Spain or Italy or England uh, and expect it to fit those circumstances because the the differences in, in each country are vast. Um, you know the UK still getting new cases, new deaths every day, um, a lot higher than some other areas. So you would expect the protocol to be a little bit tighter um, in the UK. Not saying it's loose in Germany, but it, it fits the situation there. So I think it will be a framework for the leagues to base their individual scenarios on Um, and yeah I think it'll be good to see football come back
1: absolutely I think it can only be a good thing to get uh, all the leagues back and well for life to try and get a bit more well normal should we say Uh, but Manu um, obviously there's a time and place for these things to come back Um, how do you feel about it all obviously Chris expressing uh, the opinion that yes it's it's not one size fits all for these uh, different countries and different leagues um how, how do you see it all going and um do you see them taking the bundesliga approach
2: yeah i'm not 100 percent convinced this is going to work for everyone because um you know you look at the the numbers that, that germany had um it, you know overall the numbers of infected people but the amount of death right have been um, very low um in comparison to other countries so Yes, the amount of affected people has been about the same as in other places like France, and Spain and Italy, but um, the people that have died from the virus has been very, very low. I mean, I looked yesterday at the numbers. Germany had twice the numbers um, of of Canada in terms of cases, but the same amount of people had, have died overall, right? So they have managed this pandemic very well. And even now with things easing, um, the case numbers in Germany actually are still going down, which shows that you know the easing of restrictions and the amount of discipline applied by by the government is working and people you know are still taking this very serious and um, i look at the numbers in spain and france and in italy and i I look at the way those leaks are organized as well i mean the dfl is is a machine chris and i were both lucky to visit the, the operations in Cologne. Um, I've interviewed Christian Seifert, for example, I've spoken to him many times. I've, I've spoken to Lutz Van Stiel, um just this last week about this as well. And I'm not sure that La Liga or Serie A or even the Premier League can, can replicate this because whereas the Bundesliga has a very unifying body in the DFL, something, someone who can basically coordinate this entire effort and has the testing capacities that unparalleled in this planet as a backbone, I am not sure that these other leagues are able to do the same thing simply because they don't lack the sort of organizational um, backbone. I mean, you look at the Premier League, and Chris knows a little bit more about it, but the ownerships in the Premier League, whereas you know, all the Bundesliga clubs, with a couple exceptions... Are not really owned by anyone, but they're run by um people that are elected right, and so the interests are very much conform with each other. The Premier League is very much more fragmented in terms of ownership with different groups of different interest groups and um, different directions that they want to take
1: yeah well this is it um I think uh, I think it's a good point, and you' know, going back to what Chris said, you know one size doesn't exactly fit all, and so we're going to have to see just how each of these leagues uh, managed to cope with it with each country being a different situation we'll have to hope that they're doing it for the better causes you know but um, otherwise you know we'll we'll obviously welcome football back won't we it's it's something we all need don't we so let's get to the games
3: Leon Bailey he's got to this one tried to thread it up to Havertz and from absolutely no space whatsoever the magician has done it again Kai Havertz out of nothing puts Bayer Leverkusen in front in this game
1: that yes, that was the only goal of Friday night's match, uh, Bayer Leverkusen taking on Freiburg and it was that man once again, Kai Havertz. He just seems to be continually popping up with headlines and he seems to be what everyone's talking about at the moment. But um, that was his 35th goal and all before he's turned 21, the first player ever to do that in Bundesliga history, quite Fantastic and remarkable, really. Chris, um, let's go to you to talk about this one. We were messaging during the game, weren't we? And to be honest, it it wasn't the greatest of matches.
3: No, it wasn't. Um, But it ended in joy for um, Bayer Leverkusen. I don't think anyone associated with the club will be that bothered um, that it wasn't the best match. It's all about the three points at the end of it. And let's probably look at why. It wasn't the greatest match, and this is no slight on Christian Streich or Freiburg, but they set up very well to to nullify the the big teams. And you know, Freiburg are a small team, small town team with a small budget in a small stadium, and they regularly punch above their own weight. And that's because they know how to. Or Christian strike knows how to set a side up against to frustrate sides like Leverkusen, Bayern, Dortmund, even Schalke when they were you know playing at the very top of their game. It's no Um, it's no surprise that teams like Bayern and Dortmund get a draw or occasionally get beat um, at Freiburg because of the way strike sets up and it's not the most exciting sometimes but it gets the job done and that's why you know Freiburg are where they are, they're 8th, they're just outside the top 7, obviously 7th would get them into the Europa League again which they've done before but they went out in the qualifying stages, Um, I think Leverkusen can be happy because Freiburg's a very hard place to go and come back with all three points and I know they've got Kai Havertz to thank for that. Um, but, you know, I, I thought their, their midfield played particularly well. I thought Aaron Gies had a good game. Um, I thought the guys at the back were, were okay. Lucas Sodraki was uh, was good again. I think he had one little instance where he's a little bit shaky. But, you know, Manu and I both sat down and spoke with him in December. And he said that Peter Bosch was challenging the way he plays normally. and um, uses his feet more, thinking more, three or four phases ahead of where the ball is. And he's doing that. So I think, although it wasn't the best game you've ever seen in your life, and I think the substitutions probably didn't help that after the goal was scored, but for Leverkusen to come away with a win um, is brilliant. And I know we didn't speak about Havertz last week, and we probably should have done because he had another good game. He is, for me, pound for pound, one of the best players in the league at the minute. He's a midfielder, but he can play as a false nine. He can play left. He can play right. He can play central. He's got everything, um, complete top player and should anybody want him and manu and i again spoke to simon rolfus the same week i think it was the same day um they will not sell him on the cheap so coronavirus or not i think he's three figures in the millions so 100 million euro plus for me we've
2: got a question on this later on but we could maybe just um do that one one right now right because um i know that um andrew flint asked um what are the prospects of a summer move right I'm um, sorry, Bryce, for moving that one ahead, but because Chris is bringing it up. And um, yesterday, Oli Hoeneß, um spoke to the Bayerische Rundfunk Bayern 1 um, doing the Heute im Stadion XXL show and said basically that um, he doesn't believe Bayern are going to be able to sign Kai Havertz because um, for Bayern Leverkusen are going to ask in the region of 130 million euros for him. Um, and I think... I think they're quite right to do so because, yes, maybe there's summer that's not going to happen or not many teams are going to be able to pay that amount of money, but he's under contract for quite some time. And why would you move someone um, along if you don't have to, right? So worst case, they're just like, they're just going to wait. And I think there's so many clubs and there's such a big market for him. Why wouldn't you sit on your biggest asset?
1: yeah well, this is it. so you would imagine with all this going on in the world as well, and you know the the football uh, you know the different football teams that normally would be interested in this kind of move may not have the money they may not have the power to 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 pay that kind of dollar, I suppose, to, to get a player like that. But, um, Chris, he, he's not the only uh, youth and potential uh, superstar in that team either. I, I know people probably know Leon Bailey, who's still only 22, who uh, played up top as well. But uh, they've got another man who uh, who played more on the uh, right-hand side. Um, we mentioned him before when uh, Derek was on, and I was uh, not too happy because he had come from Cologne. But Florian Verts, I mean... He's only 17. He looks like a real prospect as well. Leverkusen seem to have this knack of having young players popping up on a consistent basis.
3: Yeah, I mean, you're quite right. He's 17. He's already been moved from the under-17s to the under-19s, but now he's actually made um, some game time in the senior squad. I mean, he just looks wonderful. Now, whether... Uh, whether Leverkusen keep him there, whether Peter Bosch and, and everybody at Leverkusen wants to put him in for the end of the season, or whether they want to send him back to the nineteens, which is quite a common thing to do with a young player. Give them a little taste, send them back to the youth academy setup, see how they get on. do they get too big for their boots, do they start complaining they you know want to play? First team football all the time. Um, I, I can't see this kid doing it because um, because of of where he's come from. You quite rightly mentioned that you know he, he's come from Cologne, which he did in two thousand and eighteen. So he's had a couple of years now at Leverkusen. He'll know all about their ability to bring through. Real quality youth players. I mean, look at some of the players there at the minute. Obviously, Kai Havertz, Julian Brandt who's moved on to Dortmund. Um, and if you look at their scouting from South America as well, bringing in young, unknown South Americans um, and moving them on for high value. The same with um, with with players from all around the world. They've got an excellent scouting system at Bayer Leverkusen, and, and that's because they haven't. Although they're backed by you know a pharmaceutical giant, they haven't got the sort of money. That Bayern have and that Dortmund are able to call upon, so it's all about working clever, um, and that's something that Bayer Leverkusen do. Yes, yeah, so Florian Verts is is a is a very, very, very good player at the moment. Um, I'm always a little unsure of heaping too much onto a 17 year old player because he could go out and and have a horrendous, you know, next two games. He could play awful for 180 minutes, and that is to be expected because he's 17, is developing, you know, a 17 year old player their development should almost look like a, a cardiograph or a roller coaster ride. It should be up and down until they get the full learning and development through. So whilst I think, yes, he is a brilliant prospect, it wouldn't surprise me if he had a, a couple of ropey games, but don't write him off. And in the same way, don't put too much pressure on him.
1: And Manu, next week we see Bayer Leverkusen, who have been on great form, and, uh, well, bar that uh, midweek result, uh, generally they've been on rather good form. Uh, they're sitting well in the league as well, in currently in fourth in a Champions League spot. You know, two points, uh, or sorry, same amount of points as Gladbach, but four points behind Dortmund. Uh, so things are looking fairly comfortable for them at the moment, but they've got a big game on Saturday coming up uh, against the champions Bayern Munich. How do you see that one going?
2: Well, it's Bayern Leverkusen, you know, they're the sort of team that will lose um, 4-0 to Wolfsburg and then uh, have a lackluster result against Freiburg and then have a smashing performance against Bayern and take all three points. We've seen it so many times, it's, uh, I think, supporting Bayern Leverkusen, I I think Chris mentioned that midweek, it's kind of like being on a roller coaster. Um, emotionally, it's just always up and down. I, you know, it's it's going to be. I think that's going to be quite a good game because um, Leverkusen will need all three points for that Champions League spot, right? So I think they're going to give this a really good go. And I mean, it it could be really nice um, if Bayern do drops three points and Dortmund maybe keep up the pace. Then at least we have a hint of a title race you know what i mean like I, mean, it's, it's, I still think it would be very much impossible because that on match day 34 points is, is pretty comfortable but we would still at least have like a feeling a hint of it being still close and i think that would be kind of nice because maybe Bayern and drop another three points and then we have like a real final um but yeah i think leverkusen are going to give this a really good go price Yes, indeed. And I feel with that, we'll move on to the champions and we'll
1: talk a little bit about their performance in the late kickoff game on Saturday. Chris, um, so we've seen uh, Bayern Munich come up against Fortuna Dusseldorf. Um, I was one to certainly express that Dusseldorf hadn't looked too badly in recent weeks. They looked all right and up for the fight, but this was a bit of a step too far, wasn't it? Bayern Munich looked fantastic, really, scoring five goals. Uh, I mean, there's plenty of people talking that you know, maybe this is not the right barometer. You know, maybe next week against Leverkusen it is, but plenty of people talking about you know this Bayern Munich side being possibly the best we've seen since uh, Pep Guardiola was in charge.
3: Yeah, it's a good comparison. I think Bayern played um, exceptionally well under Guardiola, um, his first season in charge. They were simply untouchable. And at this exact moment in time, um, I reckon Flicks got Bayern playing the same sort of way. I mean, I dread to think. Um, and I don't don't mean to upset any Bayern fans, but I dread to think for the rest of the league how far ahead they would have been had Flick been in charge from the start of the season. Um, we've spoken on this podcast many times how we are very big fans of Niko Kovac, but he was never the right fit for Bayern. Um, someone like Hansi Flick is—he knows the club inside now. He's also worked with the national side. Um, he, you know, he gets what German football is, and Niko Kovac plays a very particular style which suits certain clubs, and it never suited Bayern. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the way they're playing at the moment, they're just steamrolling sides. Um, I thought that Dortmund had a really good go of them um, in the big match last week or this week. I can't even remember when it was. It was last week. Um, but their clash just shows through, and, and I think that's why, you know, they're going for their eighth successive title. Um, and, OK, it, it might be the wrong barometer to say how good are this Bayern side, but, you know, Fortuna are, are doing OK under Rosler. Um, they've changed the way they're playing. They're starting to play some of the younger signings they've got. Their, their football's a lot better than it was under Funkel. So I think um, Dusseldorf did the right thing by bringing in Rosler, but they simply up against, you know, there's, there's World Cup winners there. There's Golden Boot European Golden Boot winners. There's Champions League winners. Um, and we all know that Fortuna operate on, on a very small budget and, and they um their recruitment is required to buy plays on players on loan or poaching players that are in the second division or the third league they haven't really got the wherewithals to deal with Bayern so for them to get absolutely smashed in the Alliance, um isn't that much of a surprise to be honest and I think it probably shows um how poor they were under Kovac um last season when you know the, the reverse score was somewhat different um but I don't think you can take anything away from Bayern to say that they played against Fortuna, who you know, don't really have anything. The way they played football that particular day, had they been playing Dortmund, had they been playing Leipzig, had they been playing Leverkusen or Gladbach, I think the score might not have got to five, but it would have certainly been two or three, probably 3-0, just the way they played. I mean, their bench is wonderful, um, and their starting 11 are wonderful, and... The way that Hansi Flick spoke to them at the end as well, you know, just because we won 5 not now's not the right time to to tail off. My only fear for Bayern is that they're playing so well at the moment, is when the Champions League does come back, it's potentially could be a month's break. And if we think back to, well, it'll be a year ago tomorrow, as we record this, the Champions League final, 1st of June, Um the quality of that wasn't particularly good because the two sides in it had stopped playing football for three weeks. So my only fear for Bayern is that they, they go into the end of the season in tremendous form, and then they have to literally do nothing for four or five weeks until the Champions League comes back. Because of the way they're playing at the moment, um, I, I can't see them not winning the league and the Champions League. And, well, the Pokal final is another one that they'll be looking at as well. And if this side was to get the treble... Um, I think we can quite safely say it's the best side that Bayern have had since they last won the travel. Um, and that includes all of Guardiola's uh, time there.
2: Chris, I'm so glad you brought this up because I've actually been thinking about this quite some, quite, for quite some time. Because in, in some ways, the Bundesliga had benefited from being the first league coming back, right? Being so well-organized and having um, earned themselves the status of a league that you know could play football early on. But um it's a really interesting point because all the other leagues that are now copying this model and coming back, they're probably going to play all the way up to that Champions League um to when we have Champions League fixtures, whatever they're going to look like because we don't really know, right? So that's going to give them a huge advantage, right?
3: Yeah, it will do. As long as the as long as they as long as they play. And they don't have to have a break between the Champions League fixtures. My, my understanding was that FIFA were going to try and bring it back on the first of August, which would obviously have a big break for Bayern because they're probably going to finish around about the you know the start of July.
1: Yes, and I mean, Manu, would you say that you know just like Chris would that you know it, a possible treble you know is on the
2: cards? They're playing that well. Well, it, it's it's so hard to see what the Champions League is going to look like. I mean, they were in tremendous form. That beating that Chelsea took by Bayern, I mean, that was a 3-0, but it could have been so much more, right? And um, the way that they smashed Tottenham um, 7-2 and smashed them at home 3-0. I mean, um, the joke is Bayern have scored more goals in London this year than Crystal Palace, right? Um, they've been just in brilliant form. I think actually they were challenged more in the Bundesliga than they were challenged in the Champions League. Um, and that, that speaks for the Bundesliga as well, as a league that's been often criticized as being a one horse race by, and actually, with the exception of this weekend, where Dusseldorf were, in my opinion, non existent. I mean, uh, it was an embarrassing performance by Fortuna. But um, I think they were challenged quite a lot in the league, and I think it's benefited them. Um, to be honest, you know, to be playing in competitive league and being challenged on every single match day has helped them internationally. And that's why we're seeing them play so well in, in the Champions League. But the, the big question is how long can you preserve a form um, and carry it in the Champions League? Is it going to be a bonus? Is it going to be a, a negative for you for not having played for a long time? Is the rest a good thing or is it better to come into it with many games played. And I think Chris is quite right. I mean, a long break is usually not the best of things. Now, breaks can ruin forms, can't they? So we'll just
1: have to see how that goes on. But yeah, at the moment, they are looking frightening. Guys, let's talk about um, how the uh, well, how, how this uh, coronavirus break seems to have benefited a few sides. Uh, two sides in particular: we've got Werder Bremen and Hertha Berlin. Um, we'll talk about Hertha first. Uh, well, I mean, everyone seems to be talking about them at the moment since that new coach came in, uh, Bruno Labadea, they, it, They've won three out of four, but they failed to lose in those four games since the restarts, and they were, as we've said before, they were pretty damn terrible before this. Um it, it's made a fantastic change hasn't it Chris and you know another win this weekend 2-0 a goal rather early in the game a 22nd minute and then one right at the end but they've they've got the job done once again.
3: Yeah they have I, I watched the first half of this game before I flicked over to the conference which um is a show on Sky which bounces from match to match as the goals go in because Hertha just looked so much better than Augsburg that it, it seemed to be only going one way and it eventually did at the very end. But yeah, I mean, the way uh, Bruno Labadere has set them up, they just look a lot better um, than I've seen them in a long time. Um, and, you know, pre-Jürgen Klinsmann as well, probably going back a season and a half to two seasons now. Um, I think their midfield looks pretty hot. I'd like the way they that Bruno Labadie is using that double pivot and then a bank of 3 and he's a uh, he's a Bisevic at the front. Um I think he's a great player as well. I think Luca Baciyoko is able to um to pull off the wing and come forward. And as I said last week, when Hertha play football under Labadie, they can play this nice intricate stuff which we saw this weekend against Augsburg. I thought they played some really intricate football especially in in the middle and final third. But they can go to this almost like anti-football if they want to as well when they're going to play some real top sides a a little bit, like I suppose Freiburg can do. But Hertha have got the backing that Freiburg don't. They've also got the location. They're in the you know they're they're the capital club. Um, I think it's quite easy for us to say they're the biggest club in the capital. Uh, No disrespect to Union Berlin there, but. Hertha have got the backing, they've got the cash, they've got the ability to you know, get 75,000 fans in the stadium should that be um, available. So they are a club that should be going places and I get this feeling under Bruno Labbadia that they can do that. I mean, you're quite right. They said they're on a wonderful vein of form, the, the ninth at the moment. Um, I can quite easily see them getting into that seventh or even sixth spot. Um, they could even be knocking on the door of Leipzig should Leipzig have a downturn in form um, or another stumble. Uh, and... I don't fear for them. I think they could do really well in the Europa League next season. Um, so I would like to see them maybe get into that. And I think we only have to go back when Manu and I were out in Hamburg. So we're only looking at February. Um, you know, they were knocking on the door of that um, relegation playoff slot. I think they were 14th or 15th at one point. Um, and now they're ninth. But, you know, they're in striking distance of, of sixth, potentially even fifth. It's, um, it's a real amazing turnaround and that's down to one man and that's a coach
2: and Chris that game on Saturday uh, the top spiel between Dortmund and Hertha all of a sudden has become really attractive because you know um, Hertha in the past has always been a tough game for Dortmund right but always they always kind of played boring football let's be honest yeah I mean before this season Hertha were one of the most boring teams in German football Um, and then Jürgen Klinsmann comes along Facebook live and Salomon Kalou and then Bruno Labadia actually playing sexy football. I mean, it's a, it's a transformed club in many ways. Um, and this game on Saturday, the um, 6.30 p.m. kickoff in Germany, 5.30 in the UK. Um, I think it's 12.30 Eastern. Um, if you're interested, it's going to be a real good match.
3: Well, I'm certainly looking forward to it because I think the, the last time the two teams met was um, way back. In October, I think, when um, or was that the season before when they threw away was it a two goal lead? I think that might have been last season, um, not, not this current season, but yeah, the Hertha have played really well, um, when they've played against Dortmund, but now they go into this match in, in a great vein of form. And we've seen that Dortmund of well, you don't know what you're going to get, you're going to get the Dortmund that played against Jalka, or you're going to get the Dortmund that played against Bayern, we don't yet know so. Um it's going to be a real test, and this has got the billing of the top game you quite rightly said and and rightly so um i I can see Hertha causing a surprise because similar to the way they did to leipzig they can you know they can almost nullify a fast transition game, and Bruno Labaner has done it once since the return. I think he can do it again,
1: yeah, that proves to be a very Exciting game, doesn't it? i um, truly looking forward to that as well next Saturday, the late kickoff. Make sure you tune in. But we mentioned another side that seemed to be uh, doing very well since this uh, coronavirus break, and that's Vernon Bremen. Uh, Manu, just um, what exactly seems to be going on with Werder Bremen at the moment? I mean, two wins and two draws. Um, I watched them against Schalke as much as Chris was telling me about every other possible game I could watch instead. I stuck with it. Um, And yeah, it wasn't the most of exciting games, but Werder Bremen... um, you pushed hard. They pushed forward. They pushed uh, Schalke back, and, and they looked up for the the fight. And course scored a fantastic goal to to lead it one nil. And um, you kind of dug in the second half, and Schalke didn't really have any answers. I mean, what what do you think's caused the the upturn in Werder Bremen's play?
2: Yeah, I guess it's, it's pure survival mode for them, right? Um, I, I thought that under Florian Kofeld the team looked lost before. COVID-19, and then they came back, and I think it was 4-1 to Leverkusen the first match back, and I thought, okay, this is not going to happen for them at all. But since then, two wins, one draw, that's I mean, that's good going. And um, yeah, Schalke, I think, you know, the three of us could probably get a pub team together and get three points against them. But um, in all fairness, you have to grind out results like that in the relegation battle, and they, they're doing that right now. And the gap is still... Um, two points, but they have this game in hand that they're going to play on Wednesday against Eintracht Frankfurt, right? And Frankfurt, that's going to be a tough game because Frankfurt won on the weekend, right? They finally have picked up three points and I actually think Frankfurt is a quality side it just really struggled um, it's coming out of the Corona and even this, it's just in the second half of the season in general. But that's going to be a very big game for them because if they pick the three points up there they jump um, into possibly 15th place out of the relegation zone depending on goal differential, right? And I think that's for Werder, that would be um, a godsend because, you know, if you have that kind of momentum at that part of the season, that can really help you. And then you look even up, you know, Union wouldn't be that far away anymore, Augsburg wouldn't be that far away anymore. Um, with 28 points at this stage of the season, they would have a real fighting chance.
1: Manor, you mentioned a few of the teams that are you know, in that relegation battle, as well, or just sitting above the relegation zone. You like some might, likes of Onion uh, as well. Um, even Osberg. Um, which of those teams do you think should be most concerned at the moment? We're we're talking about Juve, you know, obviously being in good form. We've even mentioned that Fortuna. Yes, it wasn't a good performance this weekend, but uh, they've they've looked like they've got a bit of fight, a bit of survival mode about them as well. What about the other teams that we've mentioned? Are there any of them that should be really concerned about these teams breathing down their necks?
2: Yeah, I'm. I onion is, is one that you have to keep a bit of an eye on. But I mean, at the same time, I think they they've been in this survival mode from the very beginning. Even when they had good results, I think they always were quite aware that you know relegation battle is the number one thing for them. Mines is a team. I think they have to worry a little bit because you know this was a team that before the season started we kind of already had as a candidate to go down and um, Augsburg is another I'm not 100% convinced by Heiko Herrlich as a coach Um, you know I've I've spoken to him a few times and heard things about him and uh, he's a very good tactician but his uh, leadership ideas are interesting from what I'm hearing and um, whether he can apply this in this sort of situation that we're currently in with COVID-19 is going... And, you know, I'm kind of going to reserve judgment on that. But um, I think that Bremen are definitely on the up and teams like Mainz have to kind of worry. And I'm also... I was really disappointed by the way Fortuna Dusseldorf approached the game against Bayern, you know, resting Ruin Hennings so that he can be fit for when when they're playing teams where they can pick up points. But if you're in a relegation battle, you want to pick up points... In every match, it doesn't matter if you're playing against Bayern, you know, you have to be able to pick up points in every match and sort of to throw in the towel before the game even starts is not something that you want to do when you're fighting um, to stay in the league.
1: No, absolutely not. And I talked about them having uh, plenty of fight in the last few weeks. Well, that seemed to uh, completely have evaporated during that game, but we'll see how they respond after that thumping. Yes, that was another fantastic German football intro. I stand by FC Cologne. Yes, quite a spectacle to see all the Cologne fans standing up together with their. Flags out, you know, and just cheering on their team out. And yes, you may recognise that uh, that theme. That's the Scottish song, Loch Loman." So, um, yeah, we'll continue as the weeks go on to uh, educate you with music in the game. But uh, let's talk a, a little bit about uh, Borussia Dortmund and their response after that Bayern Munich defeat the previous week. Chris, quite the turnaround, eh? Six goals, uh, only one in response from Paderborn. But Jaden Sancho was the, uh, the man everyone's talking about with a hat trick. Uh, quite the response, eh? <music> Do you love watching live TV but are tired of your huge cable bill? Sling TV has the same top cable channels for as little as half the price, so you can save hundreds of dollars while still watching your favorite sports, news, reality TV, and more. Ditch cable and get Sling's total live streaming solution with free local channels. Setup and installation are included. Make the smart choice and switch to Sling TV. Get the best of cable for the best price. Learn more at sling.com slash cut cable. That's sling.com slash cut cable. Set up an installation included with $49 down and $20 a month for 12 months. Restrictions apply.
0: It wouldn't be the holiday season if there wasn't candy, right?
3: It was indeed. Um, I thought Dortmund knocked on the door in the first half and really looked a bit of a, a shadow of themselves. I was thinking, you know, are they going to rue the fact that Erling Haaland isn't there and are they going to be able to score a goal? Well, <laughs> they pretty much did that in the end, didn't they? Uh, I, I thought they had a tremendous second off. And yeah, they were obviously powered by Jaden Sancho and his hat trick, but I thought Julian Brandt played well. I thought Thorgan Hazard did. I thought the midfield played excellent. Particularly well, Delaney and Emre Chan. Um You know their their link-up play today was was well fabulous, pretty much. So, um, and I like Emre Chan. I know he can play in that back three if they want, but he is a little bit better forward for me in that defensive midfield area. And him next to Delaney, uh, I think is a real good option because. Witzel isn't there at the moment. Um, De Hood's not going to be there for the rest of the season. So I think it's imperative that they do have a player that can fit either the back or the midfield areas. And I think we all know about um, their forward options. Good to see um, Schmelzer get a goal left back from from the bench. Um, Reiner was very unlucky not to get a goal. Giovanni Reiner, it could have been eight or nine in the end. And a little like when Bayern played Fortuna, um, Dortmund just have too much class in depth for Paderborn. You know, really nice club, real nice area of Germany. Um, they're a real small town um, set up. Um, they're punching way above their weight by being in, in the Bundesliga. You know, We've reported their um, yo-yo elevator problems and rollercoaster rise over the last couple of seasons. Um, but today, Dortmund were far too strong um, for them. Um, And I can only imagine Lucien Favre didn't shout at them at half-time because I I do think they were playing very well. You know, if if I was Lucien Favre there, I just would have said, keep going, it's going to come. You need a little bit more quality in a final third. Um, And I think we saw that from, what, 55 minutes onwards. Um, Yeah, Dortmund were very good. But it's too little too late for Dortmund. Um, You know, the the match against Bayern um, has been and gone. Three points disappeared. The, the way they've dropped um, points earlier on in the season will come back to haunt them. Um, I do like Lucien Favre. I've said it many occasions. I just don't think he's got the personality traits to drive Dortmund into um, dethroning Bayern at the minute. Um, I spoke about this the other day to, on another podcast was on. Bayern have no challenges. They have occasional nuisances. And Dortmund have been an occasional nuisance the past couple of seasons. Leipzig are another occasional nuisance, but they don't have a challenger. I think Dortmund need um, a a different coach with a different um, outlook uh, and a different temperament on the sideline to to drive them forward. um, And I don't know if they will change at the end of the season. It, it looked like it after the um, result against Bayern, but you know, Lucien Favre came out very quickly and said his words were taken out of context. Mikael Zorc as well said the same thing, that he not, he's, you know, he's not going anywhere, he's got a contract. Um, I just feel that if nothing changes, we're going to be here talking about the same thing in 12 months' time, that Dortmund are good, but at the minute they're just not good enough.
1: Chris is I'm, I mean when you talk about changing uh, the coach is there any coaches that come to mind that you think w- would do a better job at the moment uh, I've heard different people say that you know that that's possibly the reason that they'll stick with Favre because they they can't really find any any level up any upgrade of him
3: I mean I really like Jesse Marsh, um won a, a cup the other day um the, Austrian, um, The Austrian Cup, um, his team played very, very well in the final. Um, I think if you take um, Red Bull Salzburg at face value uh, over the last few games before the, the season was paused, you may think that Jesse Marsh isn't up to the, the task. But I think we have to remember who they lost, um, Haaland, Minamino it's a club that's consistently getting its best players taken away from it, whether that's by Leipzig or whether that's by the English Premier League or other teams in Germany coming in and pinching their best players. But they still turn out result after result. Um, I think everybody's seen the half-time team talk he gave in in Jenglish, brilliant mixture of German and English, uh, and fired his team up. And I think if he's got the right squad and the way he coaches and the way he, he looks at football he could certainly do wonders in the Bundesliga. And I'm not just basing that off one game um, at Anfield, where he ran you know, the the current European champions quite close um, and gave them a lot to think about. And Jurgen Klopp was very complimentary afterwards about um, Jesse Marsh's style of football and the way he plays football. It, it's just what he's done with that club and, and how he gets them to go forward. And if you ever listen to him or you read anything that anybody's interviewed him, a man who's done that um, on a couple of occasions now, and... Um, the the guys in the other Bundesliga, the Austrian podcast, have spoken to him as well. There was a podcast in Liverpool Echo this week as well. Um, the way he talks about football, I, I think he is a perfect fit for Bruce Dortmund, like like a hand-glove fit. Um, I think he would be not just a good signing as a coach, I think he would be a commercially savvy signing as well with the league looking to expand in, in North America Um I know there are a lot of Dortmund fans in America, but by Jesse Marsh signing as their club coach, as their head coach, um, I think he could do exceptionally well, and and he did do very well whilst he was second. to Ralph Ragnick, at RB Leipzig, he learned he knows the league, he speaks fluent German, uh, he he's everything I think that a side like Dortmund need. They need a very particular type of manager. Um, Jurgen Klopp proved that in modern history. I think Thomas Tuchel sort of proved that. He was a bit of a character, and they need they need a character. Um, Lucien Favre is a tactician, and a very good tactician. Um, I don't think that's enough for Dortmund. So I think Jesse Marsh would be uh, suitable, and more than suitable, I think he'd be an excellent fit at Dortmund.
2: Yeah, I was very fortunate to speak to Jesse March um, in February for an interview that I did for Transfermarkt, and then... Um, I was also i mean I was at the game in the Liverpool game in salzburg and um, I was at salzburg 's game in Frankfurt and I had the chance to speak to the, to him as there as well and um i 'm with you Chris one hundred percent I think he's he 's a great coach um, you know I know he had a little bit of a wobble with Salzburg after the winter break um, you know won the Austrian Cup um just this this last week um, on Friday. Um And uh, thankfully for him, the last, um, they were deducted points because they went into training too early, right? Um, breaking social distancing rules and were deducted six points. So uh, Red Bull Salzburg are actually in first place now going into the final stage of the Austrian Bundesliga season. And I think he's, his ideas of football, you know, you, you mentioned the motivational parts, um, that the fact that he is someone who can give a little bit of heat from the sideline, he's a very animated head coach, um, with a ton of energy, and um, his German has improved significantly. He gives all press conferences in German now, which is impressive. And I think it's also the tactics. He, you know, he when you when you talk to him about his idea of football, it's a and Borussia Dortmund fans are not going to like this, but it's a very Red Bull style of play, which is actually also very close to what Liverpool play with Klopp, right? There's like constant counter pressing, giving no freedom, giving no room. Um, defending very high up the pitch um, this idea of playing a very attacking-minded style of football with a very high energy I I think it would fit uh, Borussia Dortmund and it would fit all the the many young players that that goes through that Dortmund system and he has experience working with those young players because as good as Red Bull Salzburg are in Austria they're very much a farm team right and not just to Leipzig but the entire world i mean they like they have become like the ajax amsterdam of the south they develop a lot of young talented players and he has that ability to take someone like erling Haaland, who was a raw diamond and turn him into a finished product and he did that so quickly and there's so many other players in that salzburg system who he's been working with and has improved since he's start- got there so he could easily go to Dortmund and do it at a higher level where he also works with a lot of younger players. So I think he, I'm with you, Chris. I think he would be a 100% perfect fit.
1: Well, you heard it here first. hey? Eh? That's who could potentially be turning up in Dortmund. But we'll have to wait and see how the next few weeks and then the break before next season all goes for them. Okay, and before we get to the Twitter questions today, we need to talk about something that, uh, well, seems to be hot in the press uh, when it comes to the Bundesliga as well, and that is the terrible tragedy that happened between George... Floyd and a policeman over in the United States, which cost uh, George Floyd his life. There's been plenty of protests, obviously, happening, but there's some of the players have also had their own messages uh, during the games. Three of them have been uh, Weston McKinney, who had an armband uh, when he was playing for Schalke, Marcus Thuram, who took a knee uh, when he scored a goal for uh, Gladback, and then Jaden Sancho, who, when he scored for Borussia Dortmund, um, had a message on his shirt. So Chris, uh, if if we go to you just to talk about this, uh, I mean, obviously these players want to make a point. That's fine. They're on stage, you know, where people are, you know, are going to be watching. But how will the DFB take this? Do you think they're going to come down on them with uh, a fine? Because we we know the political messages and the such um, are rather frowned upon. They're they're not meant to happen during the game.
3: Well, I think we need to break this down into its core components. So I don't think the DFB will will take. Um, umbrage with them um protesting about you know the the terrible actions that have gone on in the united states that is not they will not be face any sanction for that um dfb guide uh, sorry dfl guidelines quite clearly state that um on players clothing and equipment political and or other messages on the equipment are not permitted under any circumstance um and and that is whether you type or whether you write something on your shirt uh, like Sancho did today, which I think everybody is in agreement with, um, or whether you write um, something that people will not be in agreement with—it's it, a standard blanket that political um, and statements on 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 equipment, armbands, shin pads, undershirts, etc. are just not allowed. Um, the referee doesn't have any sanction to do that in Germany. So there was a few English journalists. Um, that, that tweeted out that Sancho was booked for taking off his shirt. Sorry, that he was booked for the message on his undershirt. That is simply not true. Um, you're, you know, Law 12, of Misconduct, you can't take your shirt off. It, it's a yellow card offence. So that's what was given. It's, it comes under unsporting behaviour. It's supposed to whip the, you know, it can whip the opposition crowd up. I know there's no crowd there, but they're the laws of the game. So um, Sancho was booked for that, which is why um, Tharam was not booked because um, the referee has no sanction for political messages. It's up to the DFB sports court. If anybody doesn't know what that is, it's the um, German equivalent of the FA's disciplinary panel. Now they will look at it and the players will probably be fined. Um, now you can we can debate this until the cows come home, that um, it's not fair and it's not right and, and they should turn a blind eye to it. And I do agree with that. But the, the rules are, are there for a reason. And because whilst we all agree with what's gone on and what the messages are what happens when we don't agree what happens if god forbid some player pulls their shirt off and there's a far right message um, and if if we took these instances that um, Sancho uh, McKenney and Thuram have done which we're all in agreement with uh, if, if you put that and then someone comes out with a message that we're not happy with and comes out with you know either a message that's homophobic or um puts um, a slight on someone's race or their sexuality they will be able to say oh well you know Sancho McKenney got off with it so i just i'll do what i want it's exactly the same just because you don't agree with it it doesn't matter so um whilst i am not in favor of it the laws of the game are there and players aren't stupid J- jane and sancho will know exactly what will happen to him but he has used his platform to put forward his opinion. And I back that 100%. Tharam I back 100%. Western McKenney I back 100%. Um, but they will be fined for it in accordance with the rules. The rules are there to protect, in inverted commas, everybody. Um, because as I say, what I might find acceptable, someone else might not. And what they find acceptable, I might not. So it's a blanket ban that protects everybody. Um, so they will be fined, unfortunately, or they will be warned about future behaviour. Um, at the very least, which I think is what the DFB should do. They should, you know, issue them with a letter warning them about their behaviour, highlighting the rules that you know political messages aren't allowed, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Um, and they should draw a line under it. Um, but it's there for a reason. You can't ask the law makers of the game to pick and choose. You know, I, someone said on Twitter, "Does he have to be yellow carded though?" Well, yeah, he does because when because when the when Paderborn are clean through and it's nil nil and he pulls his shirt down. Um, and he just gets a yellow card, and he's not had a yellow card before. That could be a red card. Um, so I don't. I, I agree fully with the message. Um, I agree fully with the ruling. Um, that's just the way it is, unfortunately. Um, and, and yeah, I'm sure the DFB will look at it, look at the significance of it, and probably issue the lightest sanction they can give, which for me would be a verbal warning.
1: Manu, would you agree with Chris? Um, how do you feel that uh, this is going to be
2: taken? Yeah, I'm 100% agreeing with Chris. I think that um, Weston McKinney, in particular, with being American, right, um, I can totally understand where he comes from with this message, and um, I think he was 100% aware of the fact that he is going to get fined for it. Um, same with Turam, although I'm not sure Turam actually will get fined because he, I think he just took the knee, uh, knee, right? So it's so going to be a little bit differently seen on um, Jaden Sancho. Yeah, 100%. Again, um, I think it's great. I think it's great when players protest um, for what they believe is right. And I think, um, you know, as long as it's socially acceptable um, and they are willing to take the fine for it. And unfortunately, Chris pointed out why the fines are in place because not every political message that um, players might um, send to the fans and to the television screens around the world is acceptable. And that's why we fine them all, right? Um, And I think it is up to everyone, every player's decision um how to handle this this current situation and how to respond to what's going on in the united states which is a uh, far place away for many of of those young kids playing in in the bundesliga and um good for get good for McKinney, sancho and Turam and hakimi as well right after the game he showed his uh, showed the same message as well And anyone else who decides to come forward with it because this is, I mean, this is is racism, this is an issue around the world. Um, No question about it. I mean, this is something that we all have to be aware of. Um, I mean, the Bundesliga has always been at the forefront. Uh, Bundesliga fan groups um, in particular have always been at the forefront of fighting it, fighting any issue. Um, You look at the likes of St. Pauli. I was in Frankfurt when there were the protests um, against Nazis um, after the, the shooting in Hanau. Right, And um, I think the Bundesliga has always been a fantastic platform for that and has always had a very strong stance against racism, fascism and right-wing brutality. Um, And I think every club in the league is 100% supportive of that. Yeah, absolutely. They're very good at getting the message
1: out, aren't they? And long may that continue. Uh, But guys, um, we're a little bit short on time here, but we've got a few listener questions. We've done this the last few weeks, and yes, if you're listening... Feel free to go on Twitter and hit us up and we'll try and get back to you and be as insightful as possible with the different uh, issues that you've got. So we're going to start with uh, Mike today. He asks, uh, we'll go to you, Chris, I think. On current form of Gladbacks Thram and Player, where do you think this partnership could take the falls in terms of Bundesliga and cup competitions? Is there any chance of them being split and sold in the summer? Or in the break, I suppose we don't know when that break will be. Well,
3: there's always a chance of a player being sold. Um, I think the two that you've mentioned have formed a great partnership. I saw that with my own eyes a, a couple of times now. Um, most significantly, when when they played against Mainz, um, I don't even know when that was. It literally, could have been last month, uh, or it could have been two months ago, or it could have been a year ago. It was this season, and it was definitely after Christmas. Uh, that's all I know because time's got away from me. But um yeah, they do play very, very well together. Um, they could get split up because I think players been on a on a few play, on a few clubs, radars, um, the Rams obviously from um a footballing thoroughbred family. Um so yeah, I, I can see them eventually moving on. Um but I mean if they were to stay, where could they take Gladbach? Um I mean, Bayern and Dortmund are the top two sides in the country, no matter what Marco Rosa does. Um, I just think the quality won't get them any higher than where they are at the minute after this Sunday's matches with Leipzig still to play, which is third. Um, And that would be a great response for them. Um, They could and they should probably have um, a good cup run if they can keep all their players. I think the Pokal is a natural um, achievement, a natural objective for a club the size of Gladbach. Uh, The league might just be out of touch, but the, the German Cup certainly isn't. And then I think if they were getting to the Champions League, they have to keep as many players as they can because um, they sort of struggled a little bit in Europe at times and you do Europa League and the Champions League is a, is, you know, is a massive, massive jump from from one competition to the other. So um, I would like to see them get Champions League um, because I'd like to see them playing it the next season but or whenever that is. But yeah, I, I mean... I can't see them winning the league, no. Um, And the Pokal is probably one of the best competitions that Gladbach could get at the moment, Bryce.
1: Yeah, the pairing have been fantastic, haven't they? 10 goals each and 18 assists between the pair of them as well. Something really spectacular up front for Gladbach at the moment. So let's go to question number three. Uh, Chris, I'm going to go back to you, uh, or question number two, sorry. I'm going to go back to you on this one, Chris, because we've only got three today and I really want Manu to get the last one. So... Chev cheva canonier I believe that's right I don't know uh, what do you guys think about Schalke's per run of form after coming back uh, do the or did they get a little bit too comfortable in quarantine
3: um I'm gonna say no uh, I don't know how any team could get um, comfortable in quarantine it's not like they've all come back um you know 10 kilograms heavier because they've just been eating loads of food uh, breaks affect different people at different times. Um, Schalke, we've talked about this at great length. Um, They've struggled because Nubal was dropped. Um, He's a better goalkeeper and they struggle because they don't have um, any real viable forward options. Um, But I mean, if you look where they were uh, or where they started the season, they managed to climb to fourth. Then they were round about just about keeping in the Europa League slots. But since they've come back, you know, the games they had, they're in a, in a, in a poor vein of form. And they started at match day two on, on in 12th place. Um, but my my main area for me is, you know, match day 10. And they were seventh on match day 10. Um, or sorry, they were uh, they were fourth on match, sixth, sorry, sixth match day 10, seventh on match day 11. And I, I can't see them being any higher than the top seven sides um, in a country at the moment. So I don't think they've been comfortable in quarantine. Um, I think David Wagner is almost coaching with one arm behind his back with his squad at times. Um, and I think he's done some some hinting towards that by throwing the, the likes of Salif Sané forward. Um, you know, he's a defender. I think he's trying to make a statement there. Um, But yeah, Schalke are in freefall at the moment um, and that that will be a concern for them um, and their fans going forward.
1: Yeah, it feels like we've talked about Schalke plenty in the last few uh, podcasts and yeah, things just aren't getting any better for them at the moment, are they? So, brings us to the final question of the day. Um, Manu, yeah, as I said, we're going to go to you on this one, especially when we were talking earlier about 1860 doing so well. Um, well, Don Edmondson asks, what happens if Bayern 2 finish in promotion spots? Surely they're not able to be promoted into... Liga 2 uh, so how would it work teams around them get moved up or one less team relegated what are the main talents from Bayern 2 as well what what are the prospects they've got in that side
2: yeah so <laughs> to answer this question um, if Bayern 2 finish um, let's say they finish first or second in the uh, dritte Liga they um their promotion spot would be voided and given to who finish. So if they finish first, second, and third would be the automatic promotion spots, and fourth would be the relegation playoff spot. Right? Um, let's say they finish third, and then for the fourth place team would get the relegation playoff spot. So Bayern two cannot get promoted. Um, it's simply not possible. Uh, because you know german football doesn't allow um, reserve sites in bundesliga 2. Um, as for the top prospects i mean we've seen a lot of them in, in action lately because of the uh, five substitution rule um, that's now instituted in the bundesliga and chris richards is definitely one the young american uh, one to watch for sure um, i really like batista maya we have seen a lot of joshua Zirkse already um, there's the Lang- young New Zealand uh, Indian, New Zealand-born um, midfielder Singh. Um, I think there's a ton of talent in that side. Um, another player who I think he's going to move up um, the divisions, not playing for Bayern, but um, is going to move up is uh, Vreede, the striker who is currently um, one of the top strikers in that division. So yeah, it's a, it's a very talented side. Bayern have invested a lot of money into the into their youth and academy setup. You know the um, campus, the Bayern campus. It's, it's massive and it's a massive investment to the club and they spend a lot of money on it on a yearly basis. And you, you kind of seeing, um, it come to fruition right now. Yeah, thanks for the insight, uh, Manu. And
1: that more or less does it for the podcast this week. As we mentioned, there's um, still a game to come on Monday night, uh, a midweek game, but some very exciting games uh, for next week. Bayern Munich taking on Bayer Leverkusen and also uh, the much-changed Hertha Berlin taking on Borussia Dortmund as well. So make sure to tune in for those. Uh, but yeah, as I said, that does it for today. And we'll be back with another uh, edition of the and Impressing podcast uh, before you know it until then Auf Wiedersehen